loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Liz Tishner. Liz has put down roots in the Bay Area, but is originally from New Hampshire and the Midwest. An Episcopal priest, she serves as the rector at the Episcopal Church of the Resurrection, Pleasant Hill, California. She and her husband, Jesse, are raising two young children and continuing to explore the adventure of living, parenting, and serving in their community. And today we'll largely be talking about her recently released memoir, The Night Lake. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Glad to be with you, too. I I just want to say that uh, memoir is probably my favorite... Well, sometimes a novel can compete, but mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably my favorite form of writing, and mm. I just loved your book so much. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Just so, so um, true, I guess, is the word that comes to <laughs> my, my mind. It just resonated so deeply um, in terms of how I think about loss and grief and telling the truth and so maybe you can just start with um you know uh, the obvious Mm -hmm. and share with the listeners a bit how you came to write the book and what it was what it was that called you to that yeah so um So as you said, I am an Episcopal priest, and just a few months before I was ordained, my mother died by suicide, and she had wrestled with alcoholism uh, for a long time. She had received some help that was really good, and ultimately, um, well, we'll we'll never know fully, but um, that was the landscape of my life when I was ordained. And then uh, just 16 months later, my infant son died suddenly and totally unexpectedly. Um, He had been this huge, healthy baby. He was 40 days old and the doctor said he was fine. And then suddenly he wasn't breathing. Um, And uh, the, the way that I uh, launched into ministry. I, I had actually done another year of study after I was ordained. And so I had only just begun working mm-hmm. in a parish. I started working in a parish with this big pregnant belly and had a couple months under my belt when I left for maternity leave. And so when I came back in, uh, it really, it, it, it felt like I was both learning how to do this this job, live out this call, just to begin with, because I was brand new at it still. You know, it doesn't, you can only learn so much. You can learn all about doing something in school, but uh, I think you actually have to, to do it, to live it, um, to figure it out. Um, and so I was learning on that level, just in getting uh, my feet under me. But then 
there was this entirely other side of it that I was also trying to learn who I was and who I was going to be as a, as a person, as a parent and spouse and as a priest who was grieving deeply. And um, to be honest, I, I, I didn't feel like I had very many examples of how mm. to do that, how to do that well. And in particular, I mean, I really don't believe that grief uh, exists in any sort of comparative way. Um, but I w- what I will say about suicide and infant death is that people really don't want to talk about it for the most part. Those are two one that are... What's that? Neither one of those. Right. <laughs> Not, yeah, <laughs> neither one. Um, and so I, I didn't feel like I had much by way of models for how to uh, live my, my life, and in particular, in my work, authentically. But the work is all about um, showing up and engaging our lives and our sacred stories and uh, seeing where they meet and where they wrestle. And it, I just didn't feel like I could be true in that work without acknowledging the deep grief that I was, um, that I was walking through. And so I began to uh, share it, it, just little bits of it, little bits of a story here or there in my preaching. And what I found is that although on the one hand, people really don't uh, at first seem like they want to talk about grief or about these kinds of deaths, especially, the response was arresting. It, it caught me off guard that people um, would then come and open up to me in a way that I did not experience previously and uh, be ready to engage authentically themselves with their own deep struggles. And and they actually would thank me for it, which really surprised me. Mm. Uh, and it and and so that is uh, the, I guess the original root of this book is feeling like we got to talk about this. We we actually need to share these stories because they're not unique to me. We just don't talk about them very much. It was interesting to me because the church where you were uh, when. Um, when your son died, Mm -hmm. uh, reminded me quite a bit of the church I left when I was 12. My dad was Mm. a minister. And uh, when I was 12, I said, um, these people are hypocrites. I'm not going Mm. to church anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I never, I mean, I've I've been back to church. I've never joined a church. I've been Mm -hmm. in many spiritual communities, you know, but uh, it is a dividing line. Like, are we going to be together in the realness? If that is that what the community is for, or is the community for platitudes and and um, uh, you know, I've seen Christianity at its worst kind of u- used as a bypass of grief. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and <laughs> and I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the tradition at at its center as it, at its core, but it is absolutely used that way and it uh well i have a lot of feelings about that (laughs) (laughs) as do i because because it sort of does 
I've I've seen many clients. You know, I'm a therapist. I chose right. that way of ministering. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I've I've seen so many clients feel as if they should be able to. Um, you know, why are they so upset when so and so went to God, or you know? Uh, this should be of, a happy thing. <laughs> yeah, the, uh-huh. which which may be true for that person. It uh, may I, be, I, I but I don't think it's the, ever just that. And it's and, and grief is certainly not that, right? For most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I it was like um, a, a nice a, a nice a wonderful. This is a understated, but like a great drink of water to read your mm. book because the two came together so much, but you still heard all the people, all the things that people hear, even though you were the community leader, like um, you'll have a bunch more and, you know, (laughs) all those things. Thank goodness you're so young. Thank goodness you're so, you know, that's so incredibly off track. (laughs) So how did you deal with that as the leader of a community? Oh, um, really hard you know um it was really challenging I mean so in any part of my life I want to you know whether it's with a stranger at the grocery store or the postal carrier or people I you know work with or for I want to be kind and I want to be respectful and um what but but it it did take on a different shape because I was also their pastor. Mm-hmm. And I think they, I, I think the idea of having a, a pastor who feels broken, who is, is wounded and wrestling and maybe filled with doubt, uh, that can be really unsettling if it is in a community that does not engage those as just absolutely part of the human experience and part of the experience of faith as an ongoing uh, work that we do together. Um, to be honest, some of the way that I, uh, I dealt with that or I responded was by, um, by removing myself from those situations that I, I, um, you know, especially in those early weeks or the first months after he had died, um, I I wasn't confident that I could respond in a way that was respectful. Mm. And and so sometimes, you know, when, when people would say something like that to me, you know, thank goodness God has another angel or mm. uh, you know, thank goodness he's in a better place and just have lots more babies, um, I would just politely excuse myself um, because I didn't think that I, I didn't yet have the skills to engage that conversation in a way that would be constructive and respectful and um, take care of my own heart. Mm, yes. And I think since then I have, you know, as it's become less raw, I have learned ways to um, to interpret those comments and questions as they come in um, with the intent that I think is behind them, that I trust is there, that it, it's someone wanting good things for you, wanting a more a hopeful future, more wholeness. 
And at the same time, I will push back some and, uh, you know, try to hold up a mirror a little bit and help them to see how problematic the thing they just said or asked might be. Um, and less, I, I do it now less so because you know, it, it is tiresome. <laughs> I grow weary <laughs> from it myself. But I also feel like I'm in a position to help people learn how to not say really hurtful things to people who are grieving. Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, the uh, teaching part so of your job in a way. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. It reminded me somewhat, and I've talked on the show about this before, of the way the repeated comments uh, that my first wife got when she, you know, she had cancer for almost mm -hmm. a decade. Mm -hmm. And there were things that became predictable that people were going to say. Mm -hmm. And she actually um, <laughs> coined things to say back. Yeah. Um, because to not say anything started to feel as if she was being disappeared. Absolutely. Uh, and kind of unrecognized in her truth. Mm -hmm. uh, did that happen for you? In any oh, way? absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been wonderful and important and empowering work uh, to do that, that I've done in particular uh, with the support of a therapist and with a spiritual director um, to both look back and, and try to to remember and gather those things together that people say that when they when they come they just oh it feels like a gut punch um, yes but also to anticipate what what may come um, so for me an example for me is Mother's Day is really hard I do not like Mother's Day <laughs> I have two living children who are fantastic they are just such they're just joys both of them um, they're now almost six and nine and they are always kind and generous and exuberant on mother's day and they also recognize at least the older one i think recognizes that it's complicated for me mm, and yes. um so in both directions right yeah it's this sandwich holiday for me that yeah. you know people are you know people are celebrating their moms and how wonderful they are and taking them out to brunch and i can't do that and then also celebrating being a mom, which I love, and it's it's complicated. And so, um, for me as a priest, I pretty much always work on Mother's Day. It's a Sunday, <laughs> and so invariably, what that means is a line of you know people all come and say hello after a service, and so it means shaking hand after hand after hand. It's all pre-pandemic, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody saying, happy Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day. What are you doing? Happy Mother's Day. And um, the first couple of years that I lived through that, uh, I ju it just gutted me <laughs> mm. because it's not a happy day for me. And it's not because I don't love my mom. And it's not that I'm not grateful for her. And it's not that I don't... Um, just relish getting to be a mother to all three of my children. It's just um, happy is not the word that I would choose. Uh, sure. Grateful, joyful, uh, many things. But and so um, one of the responses that I have started using is thank you. 
it's a really complicated day for me, or this is full of complex <laughs> feelings for me. Thank you. And I imagine your community probably does know that it's complicated, mm -hmm. given yeah. the way that you, you know, before we go to break, I'd like people to hear a bit of the book. And I think it does connect because this part of your book called Sacrosanct about mm -hmm. breaking the news is, you know, also about various responses to the yeah. reality of grief. Could you share mm -hmm. that? Sure. So this is um, towards the beginning of the book. This is just the, the day after my son died. After Lori left, I began making the phone calls. I was quickly learning the importance of clear, careful diction coupled with patient repetition. People simply could not comprehend the news I was sharing. Who died? What? Wait, what? How? Oh my God. Oh my God, Liz. It was worse when it took a couple of tries to explain. I learned to be more cautiously articulate. I have to share some terrible news with you. There, framing the situation, setting expectations. This one is really bad, I added, my voice quaking. That meant something coming from me, having had to make calls like this just 16 months before, after my mother's suicide. My son, my baby Fritz, do you understand who I'm talking about? Is this clear? Our newborn died suddenly last night. They did everything they could, but they could not save him. People gasped, fumbled, guttural noises, long silences, lots of questions few had answers. Then came the why. It is an awful question. It seeps in, it floods all reason, and all we had by way of answer was the we do not know. You know, as I was reading that particular part of the book, I was not identifying with losing a child. That hasn't happened to me, but mm -hmm the kind of responsibility that I felt to take care of those things, but also the weight of it. Yeah. Um, that I, I could imagine you didn't specify, but I could imagine you felt like it was yours to make those calls. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but then being the one to make the calls is so hard. <laughs> yeah. It is a, it is an acute emotional labor <laughs> to share that news out again and again. Absolutely. We're going to go yeah. to a break now and we'll come back and pick up there uh, in a few minutes. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I'm starting to be more active on Instagram, etc. And uh, there's also a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them. To find Liz Tishner, go to RevLizTishner.com. That's R-E-V-L-I-Z-T-I-C-H-E-N-E-N-O-R.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Liz Tishner. Uh, about her book, The Night Lake, um, and and Liz, you know that that excerpt you read before the break. Um, of course, anyone who has had a loss and felt responsible for letting people know could resonate. <laughs> you know, um, well, and I I think it's even beyond just you know uh, loss through death. I think it can be. Any, I, I remember hearing from a friend who uh, had a, a cancer diagnosis as a young adult, uh, a really similar experience of just how fraught it was to have to tell all these people you love who love you that you have cancer. It was exhausting. And, and again, um, I think this experience of feeling like maybe we're supposed to be taking care of these people when we bring our own painful news to them is, is really challenging. And there's sort of a logic to it because in fact, um, if you don't, if you're not mindful of the way you do it, you're going to have to do more. Mm. <laughs> That's the other thing I noticed in that part. Uh, that section of the book, um, you know, if you didn't take the time to think, okay, how am I going to tell them? And, you uh -huh. know, what, what holds that? And, you know, uh -huh. then you might be explaining several times. Or you might get to the end and realize it has not gone through. Pro I yeah. remember, I mean, it feels, it actually, I think was funny at the time also, but it really feels funny now. I remember one phone call I made sharing the news of my mother's death, which was very much a surprise. Um, and it, it was with a relative and 
uh, you know, they were kind, but the response was not quite the response that you might expect in, in telling someone that, uh, that your mother had just died and they didn't ask, you know, what she died from. It was just a really odd conversation. You know, my mom was 51 and we got to the very end of the phone call. We sort of talked about some other stuff and, and the person said, well, well, when, when you talk to her, please give um, my condolences to your mother also. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, I said, Wait, what? <laughs> they, Let's start they, over. <laughs> and they thought that I was calling to tell them that my grandmother, you know, that's just what they heard because it was so hard to wrap their mind around the fact that it was actually my mom. Mm. You know, my, my grandmother was not super elderly, but old enough at that point that it wouldn't have been a surprise. And you know, when somebody's 80, early 80s, you don't necessarily ask what it is that they know. <laughs> In so fact, that might be an odd question, right? right? And so we had to back all the way. And so we wait, 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 wait. No, th this is my mom. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty amazing. Um, and wow. I, I think it's hard. It's hard for us to hear um, bad news. You know, we're not ready for it. We're not expecting it. Um, maybe unless we've been there. Do, I was going to say, do, do you feel as if, uh, it feels to me like when people have zero experience with grief and haven't really thought about it much, mm -hmm. then that moment is basically about them, mm. the, the shock to them. But I've, at least in my own experience, um, the people who've who've had big loss, mm -hmm. it's about you. Mm. That there's some way they they kind of know what a person needs to hear <laughs> a little yeah. bit more, and even expressing shock or dismay seems to me to bear the bear the griever in mind a little more. Mm -hmm. I think it can come through in a different way. Um, from that experience. And uh, yeah, so I, I would say some of the people who have shown up for me, for us in really remarkable ways are people who have, uh, have lived this in one form or another. But then there are also these other people who are just remarkable gifts <laughs> who mm. have not lost an immediate family member have not you know or a close friend or something like that and they are just they have done enough work on themselves to be really self-aware they've done the work of of paying attention to how community functions and grows and flourishes that uh they learn how to be there. And uh, some of the people who have um, been the most consistent support for me have not lost someone close or, or these losses were their, uh, you know, immediate, really difficult losses. And um, to, I don't think it's a prerequisite. I don't, I, I think it can help. That's, it's it's I, interesting. It's not what the only you're way saying. in. Yeah. I, you know, of course, I think you'd you'd agree with me on this. Um, there are there's loss kind of woven through our lives, all of our lives, yeah. whether we recognize it as such or not. And maybe this quality of 
learning to hold space for yourself, learning to hold space. I just interviewed someone last week who wrote a book about holding space that was quite powerful. And, you know, maybe it's more that, mm. not necessarily that you've, that you've um, had a death in your life, but that you've learned to be with. I think that's way. really true. Learn to enter in, learn to, to be present. I think so. Um, because also, of course, uh, having gone through some tremendous loss doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be good at this either. You know, I've met right. I've spent time certainly with people who, um, you know, they're still so, um, they haven't gotten the support. They haven't sought out the space to, um, to really work on it and heal that it then just becomes about them. So, so there are a lot of different ways. It's the self-examination part. I think possibly. so. I think that's a mm. lot of it. And I, and I feel as if one thing that stood out so much about your book, which I'm going to ask you to share a little more in a minute mm -hmm. was being willing to, be completely honest about the depth of your experience while being self-reflective at the same time mm. um, that you bared your, bared your soul in some mm. way that unless you've actually visited your <laughs> deepest places would be very impossible, I guess, very mm. difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that's in a, in a sense what, and I wonder I, and I was wondering this while I read your book, whether having gone through first your your mother's alcoholism, mm -hmm. um, then your mother's death uh, through suicide, um, I have the sense that the losses I've had since my wife died mm -hmm. are impacted by what I learned about grief the first time. I can't, I can't know because every grief is different, yeah. but I was wondering about that with you. How does, how does having just, how did having just gone through that loss and grieved that loss, um, do, do you feel you came with some maybe willingness to just go into what you were, what, how did, how do they intersect in your hmm. mind? What an interesting question. I don't think I've been asked that before. Um, I, so, I mean, I think in some ways, my mother's illness was cause for ongoing grieving for me for a long time. I mean, I, when I was young, I don't think I especially understood what was going on, but I did by the, by the time I was in middle school, I got it. And I saw, I saw what was lost, what she was missing out on and what I was losing out on from her and both grieved that then as a as an ongoing thing and also sought out space and support in community to help me through that's how i, I first came to be involved in a, a church on on my own by my own choices i saw that i i needed that uh to help me through and so one of the things that um I found really striking, I, I have found striking all along, both around alcoholism and also suicide, is that there is just such silence surrounding mm. both of them. There's an expectation of silence. There's uh, just 
so much stigma and shame um, and the sometimes explicit and the sometimes simply powerfully implied message that you're not supposed to talk about this. And I, I uh, for some time, I guess it was for maybe, I don't know, six months or something like that, three months, for a while after my mom died, I attended a support group for suicide survivors. And, um, you know, I, I know there are so many different ways to handle this, to, to live with it. And I respect everyone's choice in that. And I was surprised to learn how many people in that group hadn't told anyone what had actually happened. Mm. Um, and some of them, it had been longer, you know, a year or two or three. And it was starting to feel like they actually really did want to talk about the fact that it was suicide because it's, it's a different and complicating sort of grief. Absolutely. But then it becomes really weird if you say, oh, so by the way, actually, here's what happened. And it's awkward. And um, I had been really, I had decided to be really forthright about it all right from the get go. And I'm not sure how I made that choice, but it was what felt right. But, um, but I, I think in particular, because that kind of honesty and inviting real support about about the, the issue as it actually fully was um, helped me enough around my mom's death that it emboldened me to be um, more forthright then after my son's death as well, which uh, was difficult in a, a whole host of different ways. Mm. But um, But being silent and isolated about it uh, rarely was was what actually helped. I'm I'm thinking of the long process process it was to decide to include my children in everything. Uh, mm. In the meantime, my um, my oldest daughter's father had died, and I'd kind of tried to protect her. You know, I'd made all these mistakes, uh -huh. in my opinion. Now. <laughs> uh -huh. um, <laughs> She, uh, but it took, you know, a decade to learn those things. So kind of yeah. knowing it by intuition just impresses me. Well, <laughs> would <thank> you, you. <laughs> would you, would you share, uh, the part of the book you've called the post-it because again, just so honest about what it, what it was to lose your mother with the, with the illness she had and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of more about that process. Yeah, so this is um, when I, I just returned to Indiana where my mom had lived and this is the first time she had moved a few months earlier and I had just uh, finally gained access to her house and walked all through it seeing, seeing her home but without her there. I lay ragged in my mom's closet for a long time. Was it half an hour, longer? I couldn't say, sobbing until my body gave out. Then I just lay, curled on my side, motionless, unable to rise or speak or do anything but abide in this awful new world. Just existing in it, continuing to live within it was unbearable. 
It was four days now that my mother had been dead. I lay still, listening to my breath in the stagnant closet. Then I heard the soft creak of young feet. I listened as Alice grasped the door frame to steady herself, then set forward again, tottering until she reached me. She put her hand on my head, not asking anything of me, not batting at me as a demand for play. Seeing my still body, moving only from my deep and weary breathing, she brought her head down close to mine, bending herself in the way only a toddler can. I felt her warm, milky breath on my face and only then willed my swollen eyes to open. She stared back at me, just two inches from my face, blinking. Holding her close, I smiled weakly. We would continue, I thought, even in this freakish world. I would be able to do it with her because of her. It's it's interesting to me because um, I, I bring this up quite often that I've never, uh, I don't, I can't remember a time I've been a, a grief counselor for around 30 years. Hmm. And I can't remember a time someone came to work on grief of an early loss mm-hmm. uh, where they say um, it was an open subject. We cried together. We all talked about it. They kept the hmm. person alive for me. That doesn't, it's people who say no one ever spoke their name again. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. these, these kind of shut down griefs, um, then there seems to be often this sort of wispy place where that person was. Uh, uh-huh. and, and it takes a long time to kind of revive them. Does that make sense to you? It does. Uh, yeah, the sort of much later interrogation or, or uh, excavation of what may have been yeah, and that does come along with pain, of course, but it's it's also a healing direction. Um, and so when I was, um, you know, experiencing your child coming in and seeing your tears, uh, when my wife died, my youngest child was um, two and a half. So that's a familiar mm-hmm. loss age to yeah, me. Right, right there, the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, just feeling as if she was so much a part of it, you know, there was no um, difficulty with her being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, you know, that had taken a while to realize. Well, and we knew that would come because when um, when we adopted her, she was already my wife was already sick, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so just making that kind of I, I always take an opportunity to put that message out. Kids can handle it; they really can. <laughs> it's usually often, the adults been better than we can. Oh, I know, yeah. and obviously to to hold them well, to be mindful, to take our own temperature, so we know when we need to step away. All that, yes, yes, yes. But they can, in fact, handle loss. So I always like to get that message in. <laughs> Let's take another break, and we'll come back in a minute. And listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, or the Good Grief host page that has all of the links. And to find Liz Tishner, you can go to revlistishner.com. Be back soon.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Liz Tishner, author of The Night Lake. And Liz, you were telling a story during our, our little break. I, I feel would be wonderful to start the segment. Sure. Would you Would you mind <laughs> yeah. sharing it again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just noting, you know, I have, um, it's, it's hard to know how our kids are going to uh, navigate grief themselves and these sometimes... Um, the, the different shapes our families take. And I was remembering how when my daughter was beginning first grade, uh, I was filling out one of those sheets about, you know, uh, things to know about the student and what they're great at and what they need help with. And is there anything else? And I let the teacher know that, um, that we had another son who had died and didn't know if Alice would want to talk about it, but just a heads up. And then that, that very first week of school, they did a uh, project with self-portraits and then each writing a, you know, a couple lines about what makes them special or unique. And they were all hung up in the hallway outside the classroom. And I came and, and found Alice's and it said something like, I'm special because I have two brothers and one is living and one is dead and they never got to meet each other, but I got to meet them both or something like that. <laughs> and I so, thought, oh, that's oh, so precious. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, this is next to like, I have a remote control car. And <laughs> okay, I, th- I think she's all right. <laughs> she can talk about it just fine. Thank you very much. And, and that does, uh, that, that touches me for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that then that's an opportunity for the whole classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, that her courage then yeah. brings, the, you know, just like when I go to my grandparents' day and I rotate with my ex. So mm-hmm. there's two grandmas one year and two different grandmas the next year. And then sometimes <laughs> my son-in-law's parents come too. You know, it's like, it's very confusing, but it's a real <laughs> invitation for conversation about yeah. um, LGBTQIA um, mm-hmm. inclusion, about divorce, about, you know, there's just, yeah, we're all, it's all about diversity. We're a very diverse family, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, we got it all, just invite us. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's easy at that point. Oh, this mm-hmm. is this is, you know, this kid's family. Oh, that's that kid's family. It's it's quite normal. Mm-hmm. Uh when you present it that way. Yeah. I remember yeah, I my my oldest kid, my oldest kid in preschool. The other kids were always jealous that she. Why do you get to have two moms? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I only have one. That's a great deal. <laughs> moms are awesome. Who wouldn't want two? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite on the grief topic, but but in a way, because our struggles are where our losses are, and then mm-hmm. coming to terms with them is what leads to what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of. So, so I want to move um, in an awkward segue, I guess. Um, I, I thought this several times reading the book. Um, the next time I'm looking to um, join a spiritual community, mm-hmm. um, I really care about grief. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. One, because it's going to happen, and two, because I don't resonate unless someone kind of knows how to handle that. Mm-hmm. In other ways, I don't resonate. <laughs> right. Uh, and I wondered what you think about that as a priest. Um, I, I would be so happy if a newcomer came and said to me, hey, I'm, I'm church shopping, I'm looking around for a community Tell me, how does your how does your community do grief? Describe <laughs> that. I think that would be the most fantastic question. And I mean, I'm sure it would um, surprise a lot of religious leaders. Uh, that's not usually the thing that I hear. I mean, sometimes that that is effectively how people show up. Often, even you know, it's it's. Uh, frequently points of crisis where you just, you don't know what to do. You know, you need something, you know, you need help. And maybe this is a place where you can get it, but. um, Available and free, unless you put something in the, in the plate. If you want. For one thing. Yeah. (laughs) um, But I, I think you're right that the way we come together in our struggle and in our heartbreak actually informs the rest of how we gather, that it um, it deepens the the other aspects or the other elements of community that are more um, straightforward in being delightful or being uh, you know progress and activism or supporting community. If if we are coming together as our whole selves, if we are willing to bear our souls together and to hold the other when that's how someone else shows up, the joy, it just takes on a different quality, mm. I think. It, it becomes uh, a joyful celebration in a way that when we don't bring that, when it's just platitudes and I'm fine and you're okay, right? <laughs> don't tell mm. me how hard it is. Um, I, I think it's hard to actually reach true, uh, full celebration and joy together because we haven't braved the depths together first. That's that's so interesting because it's kind of a community version of what what I talk about with my own personal grief a lot, which is that mm. um, avoiding certain places in myself also diminished 
my deeper experiences of gratitude and joy and that in my wife's illness, I got a lot eventually after the couple of anxious years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to leave that part out. Uh, I got a lot more joyful. Yeah. Uh, because when I was feeling joyful, it was there was no holds barred. Uh, somehow it all opened at once. So that that does make sense to me what you're saying that 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 would be true in a community too. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think it's a way in which both as individuals and as a community, we can decide to uh, to numb what's hard and tamp it down and hide it away. But in doing so, in doing so, I think we inevitably numb and tamp down and hide the great joys as well. And if we're willing to to really dig in to to all of it, it it's all it's a lot harder, but it's um, it's far more beautiful as well. It's a perfect perfect time for you to share. Um the last the last excerpt that i have mm -hmm. uh, on my mind yeah um, because it's a it's about the, the two coming together isn't it mm -hmm. yeah so this um is several years later um in the middle of the uh, good friday service that evening i thought i was maintaining composure stealing myself my friend Caroline, the lay leader that night, she was sitting at my side. She reached out, taking my left hand. Tears brimmed in my eyes and began rolling down my cheeks. I wondered how she could tell. She held on. My mind drifted, remembering a walk she and I had taken in the winter a few weeks after Fritz died. We circled Spooner Lake, crunching through old, dry snow. I've been trying to imagine what you've been going through, Caroline had said then. I don't know what it's like, but I'm trying to imagine, and it's awful. I remember looking at her through the cold, shocked. She was willing to go there, to try to put herself there, here where I was. No one had articulated that to me. It had just been one long chorus, round after round of, I cannot imagine. There's a couple of things that stood out so much to me. One of them being that you were willing to cry <clears throat> while leading a service. Hmm. I had my back to the people at that point, <laughs> but uh, I don't know that it was a, a willingness so much as uh, just well, we can happens. certainly try to hold it back, though. We can. <laughs> you we know, can. Um, yeah. and somehow, whether they knew or not, mm -hmm. it it just feels meaningful to me that that you bring your own tears into, you know, the word sanctuary. If we think about that yeah. for a minute, I'm sure you've thought about it a lot more than I have, but. Um, to me, that's supposed to be a place of uh, restoration or repose or comfort. Yeah. And so, of course, it makes all the sense in the world that our tears would be welcome there. Mm -hmm. But but it doesn't always feel that way. It never did to me yeah. growing up. They know? haven't. It, it's not true. It's not true everywhere. There are some places, some sanctuaries where that's not actually um, 
say for welcome, I think. And I, I desperately want it to be true everywhere. I think it's uh, necessary and good and holy. And then um, part of the, the work that we do together. Uh, I'm, I'm in a gospel choir. And mm. I'm thinking about it right now. It's an interfaith gospel choir. But that is a very loud tradition. <laughs> and uh-huh. you know people cry on stage they cry in the you know everyone cries and yells hallelujah i think there's been some relief for me in that kind of very vocal manifestation of where people are at uh-huh. i've never thought of it quite that way but <laughs> i do it does feel transporting to have large feelings welcomed and that music does that of course it's it's grief music so that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah it, it evokes it and creates space for it both. and 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 um makes a container for the joy as well um yeah yeah you know so ah huh, well i have a i have a little different perspective right now on mm-hmm. my own experiences. So I really thank you for that. You're and, um, you know, if we had another hour, um, <laughs> I would love to speak about your youngest child. Mm-hmm. Because, of mm-hmm. course, your older child did, and she was right. She knows mm-hmm. them both. But your right. younger child knows of your, your son Fritz through all of you. Yeah, through story. It's through mm-hmm. story and through um, willingness to keep him a part of your family life. And I, I'm really curious about it. Um, so maybe you're going to write another memoir <laughs> about him. <laughs> if you do, I'll certainly have you back. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's, it's a gift. Oh, I've really enjoyed being with you. Thanks so much. And um, listeners out there, I I really mean it. Beautiful, beautiful book. To find Liz Tishner, go to revliztishner.com. R-E-V-L-I-Z-T-I-C-H-E-N-O-R.com. Next week, I'll have Catherine Ingram back on the show. I had her in 2014 talking about the memoir, Washing the Bones, about her grief when her husband died. She's joining me again to talk about her recent Grief Girl's Guide, How to Grieve, Why You Should, and What's in It for You. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.